Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for all that's gone forth, for the worship and the praise. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity, the freedom that we can come today and to worship you and honor you freely and openly. We thank you that we can today preach the Word of God publicly, openly, on media, on television, Father, without being told what to do. We don't know whether how long that will last, but we pray for this nation, Lord, that you who created this nation for greatness and for freedom will sustain this nation, Father, that the gospel may be preached not just here but around the world. We thank you, Father, for the Word of God, Father, and the opportunity today to open that Word freely. And we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit to take this Word and to speak it into our hearts. And Father, I take what I believe you've shown me to, to, to share today, and I entrust it to the Holy Spirit, that my tongue may be the tongue of a ready writer, and that the Word of God that comes forth may come from your heart into our hearts. And for that we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, uh, last time I preached, actually, on Sunday morning, I believe it was Mother's Day. And the message I did was out of Exodus 20. And I want to turn there quickly because we're going to go in a similar direction for fathers. Exodus 20, of course, Moses has been called up on the mountain, and God gives him what we call the Ten Commandments, although often they're called the Ten Commandments, but they're responded to as the Ten Suggestions. But they are the Ten Commandments. 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 We talked about the fact that uh, most of these, it's very understandable. You've got, uh, uh, it begins with but not having any other gods before him. It begins with not, then my, not having any image made in the likeness of a god and worshiping that, not taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, and then it goes into uh, relationships with each other. It goes into not lying, stealing, killing, committing adultery, coveting, and, and all those things which are obvious why there should be a commandment about them. And then we went back and looked at, yeah, but right in there at verse 12 is this verse which says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And we asked the question when it came to mothers, and we will today as for fathers, I understand why that's a good idea, but these aren't the tw- 10 good ideas. I guess we didn't get that first time. These are not the ten good ideas. These are not the ten... These are ten commandments from God to His people. And one of them has to do with the attitude towards our parents. And God considered it. God knows that that is so important that it's up there with not stealing and not lying. It's up there with not committing adultery. It's up there with not murdering. In fact, it's so far up there that I think there's only three offenses under the law, under the commandments, only three offenses that suffered a capital punishment, execution. And one of them was dishonoring your parents. You know the verse where it quotes that that, that, uh, blessed is, I think it's in um, Galatians 3, talking about Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. for written cursed is every man that hangs on a tree, that refers back to the punishment for children being disrespectful for their parents. They were to be stoned to death and then their bodies were to be hung on a tree as a sign of what happens when you disrespect your parents. Wouldn't that go over big today? We'd have a lot less population in our schools. But imagine if children grew up understanding that if I disrespected my parents, the elders of the village would take me out to the edge of the village and stone me to death. So in God's eyes, this is extremely serious. And yet today we live in an age where this is almost unknown, let alone considered, considered serious. So we saw, we looked on Mother's Day as why. Why is this so vital in God's eyes. It's also a promise that He gives, look at that, that your days may be long on the land which God is giving you. So there's a promise that goes with honoring your parents 
which is long life. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you want to live long? We'll see in a minute. There's another promise that goes with us. Not only will you live long, but you'll live well. God will have a blessing upon your life simply because you honor your parents. The other side of that we'll look at is what happens if you don't honor your parents. This is God speaking. This isn't some fanatical group speaking. This isn't some radical... This is God speaking to His people, His children. So today we're going to look at the honoring of the Father's part because it's a little different, a little different perspective. The principle is the same, but there's a little... Because the Father has a different role, honoring Him has a little different view, a little different view. And and in order to do that, we need to understand why God has put this in here, especially for fathers. The very first institution that God ordained was marriage. Marriage was ordained by God And when God ordained marriage, which means He created it, He created it for His purposes, He created it in the manner and form that God intended and defined marriage as. This is what the Bible says. One man and one woman joined together in the sight of God in a covenant relationship together. The second institution that God created, notice the church isn't there yet was the family that came out of this first institution. And because human life is so sacred to God, it's not sacred to the world. Animal life is sacred now, but human life isn't sacred. That shows you how upside down we've become. Human life is so sacred to God that the only way He would ordain the physical act that would create human life is if it were guaranteed that that child would be raised in an atmosphere that that child could grow up and be nurtured and taken care of and trained to step into a living relationship with God as their father. And the only place God ordained that to be was between the covenant loving relationship of a man who loved and served God and feared God and a woman who loved and feared God and that they loved and reverenced each other. Only in that secure relationship did God ordain the physical act by which human life could be conceived and brought forth and grow and mature. And so God gives instructions for the relationship between father and mother and instructions for the relationship between parents and children that is to help this process of preparing those children that are entrusted to us to grow and mature and be handed off into a vital relationship with God as their father. So God's plan was that a godly father would mirror, would, 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 would represent what God the Father is like so that that child as they grow and mature could transfer their love, affection, reverence and honor from their physical father to their father in heaven. That's God's plan. But of course we know it only lasted two chapters. And then Satan comes in and and gets involved and causes man and the woman to get in pride. And as a result, everything begins to fall apart from that point even until now. But God formed a relationship with a people, Israel, with Abraham actually, and out of that relationship then with Isaac and Jacob, and then with an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And God became their father, and God wanted to raise them and train them the same way He had wanted natural fathers. And so one of the first things God does when He's delivered them out of Egypt is to call their leader Moses up to the top of the mountain and give them the rules of the house so that they can know what God their Father is like and what He will do for them and how they are to get along with each other. God at one point, and then Jesus refers to this in the New Testament, reduces all of this down to two simple commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, and all your soul. And the second is like that, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So honoring our parents is just a function of loving them. Honoring God is just a function of loving Him. So His commandment to honor our parents 
is part of God's plan for raising and training a generation of young people to take their place in the family of God as responsible, loving worshipers of God and sons and daughters of God. So let's go to uh, uh, Ephesians 6, and we'll see this in the New Testament. Paul, at the, at the, having just... Wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus. Having just addressed spiritual warfare... Huh, I never thought of this before. <laughs> having just addressed spiritual warfare, he now talks about raising children. <laughs> oh, we won't go there. But it is. Because the devil's after your children. Revelation 12 ends with the statement that if Satan couldn't get the parents, couldn't get that generation, he's going to try to destroy the next generation. And we'll see something about that here. Ephesians 6, we're going to just look at the first four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Go back to verse 1. Children, obey your parents. In verse 2, honor your father and mother. Well, what's the difference between obeying your parents and honoring your parents? I believe it's this. When the first thing a child needs to learn is obedience. I remember when our children were small, especially our twins, the youngest ones, because we learned a lot more by the time the time they came along. And I remember so clearly standing in, in a driveway of the home that we had in Oklahoma. And it was a short driveway, kind of at a little slope down to the road. And they're active little boys. They had their little big wheels that they had back then, and they were running up, oh, no, no, they were running up and down the, 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 the driveway, playing tag or something with each other. And one of them started into the street. And we lived about five houses in from a corner. And I could see a car, I could see where I was, our car beginning to come around the corner. And I didn't have time to explain anything. I just said, I'm going to yell, stop! And they froze. And at the time they froze, that car came by. Now, if I hadn't taught them to simply listen to my word and do what I said, I don't know what would have happened. Because there was no opportunity to explain to them why it was a good idea to, to stop. There was no time to justify, well, I'm the parent. There was no time to do that. Not only that, because I was taller and bigger and had a 38 years more experience, I could see and understand more than they could at six months old and that high. So when a child's small, the most important thing they need to learn from their parents is to do what they say. The military understands that. They don't look at you and say, we're so glad, Tim, that you volunteered. Here's a rifle. <laughs> Next week we're going into war. Here's your rifle. And there's a bunch of bullets. No, no, no. They won't let you near the battlefield until you've gone through something called basic what? Training. Basic what? Training. There's a difference between training and teaching. Teaching is imparting information. Training is changing your behavior. We've got a lot of teaching in the church, but not much training. Because we don't want to be trained. Oh, I didn't plan to go here. We want to be taught. Because we can take the teaching home, feel good about having the teaching, and live our life the way we've been living before we got the teaching. That's good preaching, Pastor. Just keep that up. <laughs> no, you go into basic training and you may have some classes, but the first thing they teach you is you can't wear your hair the way you want to. Remember, I remember when Elvis was drafted. Some of you don't even know who Elvis was. My goodness, <laughs> you're too young. 
And they showed him on the newsreels having these beautiful locks that the girls fainted over, just shade right down, because he was going to be treated like everybody else, even though in the music world he was the king, he wasn't the king in the army. And they tell you when to get up, they tell you what to wear, they tell you where to march, they tell you almost everything, because they're training you. You don't belong to yourself anymore. They're training you, and that training is essential because when you get out there in real life battle, they, they, and the sergeant tells you to charge that hill, it's not a time to debate. Well, why? I don't. I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. You don't understand, Sarge. No, they need to get have you do what you're told to do when you're told to do it. And somehow we think when we become Christians that it's not like that. Paul referred to himself as a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how did I get off on that? Oh, yeah. Obedience is the first thing a child needs to learn. And while that child's in your home, they need to know obedience. It's real simple. I pay the bills. We don't vote. This is not a democracy because I pay the bills and you eat the food I pay for. And I really didn't have any trouble with that. I didn't have rebellious kids that way. But then you're to grow to the stage where it's not just obedience, but now I, I do what my parents, because I honor them. See, honor comes from the heart. Obedience comes from the will, but honor comes from the heart. So once a child has left home, they're now out in their own home. So I've got three married children. They've got their own household. The fourth one is out on his own on the West Coast. And I don't tell them what to do. I will give them fatherly advice and counsel. But once you leave home, your responsibility is to honor your parents. We'll get into what happens if you've got ones that don't seem worthy of honor towards the end. But I want, you to, I want to set the stage here. Why? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. First, we must learn obedience. We must do it because the authority in our life said so. No need to understand or explain. Then we're to grow into doing it because we honor them and respect the position that God has placed them in. Verse 4, though, says there's another side to this. This is speaking to the fathers. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So there's a balance here we'll see as we get into our God, honoring God as our Father, because God corrects, God meddles in your life. God corrects, but He always does it out of a motive of love. With our children, if I had to discipline them, if I had to spank them, and by the way, what we did is, is I, 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 we, had, we, had the, we had the commandments of the house. And I didn't have 25 commandments because that's a lot to enforce. I think we had three basic ones. Tell the truth, respect your parent, my mother, and I can't remember what the other one was. And, uh, and, and so if they broke one of those and they were going to get a spanking, you spanked your children, I sure did. But I did it in love. I did it for their benefit. I would, we would go to the rule and make them understand, what, what rule did you break? And then I would make sure they went to a place so I could go somewhere else and make sure I was in control of myself. That I was not disciplining them out of anger, but I was doing something that was for their good. Then I would go and administer the rod of correction to the seat of learning. (laughs) And once that was done, I would tell them, it's over. You will never hear about this from me again. And this was done for your benefit so I could correct you now because if I don't correct you now, there's a world out there that will correct you and it won't be fun. So because I love you, I'm doing this. And I had one of them later on because they, I just hadn't thanked them in a while because I didn't think I had a need to. Finally, they did something and I had to take them in a little older. I had to take them in and I had to thank them and he looked at me and said, I was beginning to wonder whether you still love me. And that broke my heart. They understand 
that correction if it's done out of love. So fathers were not to do this in a way that provokes them to anger. You won't provoke them to anger if your motive is what's best for them. What provokes a child to anger is when you correct them for yourself because you're embarrassed, because you're afraid. They can tell why you're doing this. You see a, a child out in the mall and screaming and yelling and dad or mom has a hold of them and says, if you don't do that, bam, 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 that parent isn't spanking that child for the child's benefit. The parents, I didn't mean to get into all this, the, child, the, the parents spanking the child because they're embarrassed because the child's acting up, but the child's acting up because they haven't loved the child at home enough to correct them at home so they don't do it in public. And if that ever happened in public with our children, I just looked at them. When we get home, and one time I had to stop the car in the highway, pull over, invite one of them to leave the back seat, and not in public display of the cars going by but in display of the other three children, I did what I promised them I would do. But you do it out of love. Now, as this applies to a father, we're talking about God's plan for the family and His ultimate purpose for the family. God's role for the father is different than the role for the mother. God's role for the father, and this is a generality. Sometimes you get women that are more, have a personality that's more like a father's role in terms of authority, and men that are, but, but, and we're not going into all that right now, because uh, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> but by and large, God's made men to be the authority in the house, not boss, but to serve. And there's an authority that men's voice has. When dad speaks, it's different than when mom speaks. <laughs> I could tell because when one of them didn't want to deal with me, they would go talk to mom. Because <laughs> mom they knew would be easier. Mom they often know how to, especially boys. I was the oldest of five boys. So I was the one who was always appointed to go explain things to mom when we got in trouble because I knew how to work her. <laughs> we won't go there either. So the fathers intended to represent God's authority in the, in the home, loving authority. And it's vital that children learn how to respect and submit to authority. And this is one of the reasons why one of the commandments is that we honor our fathers. Because honor is necessary to receive the benefit of their authority and the correction of their authority. Let's go to Romans 13. Let's take a quick look at what God says about authority. I'm going to teach... I wrote a course years ago on understanding authority in the church. We had a school of ministry, we taught it, and then for a long time we had it taught here. If In order to be a member, you had to go through that course. And we've been redoing it, but I'm going to do it on a Sunday morning because there's a real lack of understanding of what the Bible says about authority. And here's an in, part of the insight into it. Romans 13:1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Because there's no authority except from God. In other words, all authority comes from God. <clears throat> Why does authority come from God? Because He created it all. Authority originates in the creation. So when you bought, if you ever buy a new car, you, when you've given them all the money, they give you a title and they give you the keys. The title says you own it. The keys are your exercise of the ownership. But you got that from the dealer. Well, the dealer didn't make the car. They got that from GMC or Ford Motor Company. So the dealer got the keys, and now the dealer transfers the keys to you because those keys represent ownership. In the same way, authority comes from creation. And who created man? God did. 
And so authority comes from God. Let every, every soul, including fathers, including kings, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That doesn't mean the person serving in the office was appointed by God. That means the authority was appointed by God. God didn't put Hitler in office, but God ordained the authority that he usurped. You see the difference? So authority can be abused, but the authority itself comes from God. That's so important because when we disrespect authority, we're disrespecting God. When we dishonor authority, we're dishonoring God. I've had people say, well, I, you know, I'll obey God, but I'm not going to obey a man. Well, you just disobey God. Because God put that person in your life as a covering for you. We don't have time to get into it now, but when I teach on authority, we'll find that authority and faith, are, faith, F-A-I-T-H, are two sides of the same coin. You cannot be in faith if you're not under authority. Or let's put it this way, your faith won't work unless you're not under authority. Getting real quiet in here. All right. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever... Oh, look at this. This is in the Bible. Whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. Whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist, look at this, will bring judgment on themselves. See, we don't understand because we live so much of our lives in this natural realm of everything we can see and everything we can understand. We don't understand that this natural realm is surrounded by a spiritual realm with spiritual beings, angels and demons and spiritual laws and principles that operate and are affecting our lives all the time that most Christians live oblivious of. And when we violate God's principles, we are opening a spiritual door and allowing the enemy of our soul into our lives at the same time we're trying to rebuke him. People love to take exercise spiritual authority over the devil. I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. Well, you've got to listen to the verse that goes before when it says, you know, when it says resist the devil and he'll flee. Right before it, it says submit to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee. He doesn't have to flee anybody that's not submitted to God. Because your authority to resist the devil comes from God. And if you're not submitted to him, you're not operating under it so it can't flow through you. That's like trying to water our flowers with a hose that's not connected to the faucet. And wondering why it's not working. So we just come all the harder at it. And don't ever go back and look at the other end of it. Why isn't there water coming out? Why is there no power when I pray? Why is there no power when I stand against the devil? Why is things happening in my life? Look at the other end of the hose and see if it's connected to the faucet. See if your life is under the authority. Matthew chapter 8 verse 5, a centurion comes to Jesus. It says, my servant's lying at home suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I'll come. And he said, no, no, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof because he's a Gentile. He says, but you don't need to. Because basically what he says, I understand your authority. I recognize that you're somebody under authority and in authority. Sorry, Jesus. I recognize you're somebody under authority and in authority. And the reason he could recognize that is he was a military officer who was also under someone's authority and therefore in their authority, in authority. And Jesus said, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. So how we respond to authority is critical. And the proof of it is, is how hard the devil works to destroy it in our lives. Oh, bless God, I can do what I want to do. That doesn't bless God. And it won't bless you. But look at this. Those who resist authority will bring judgment on themselves. 
verse 7. I love this. This was on the screen the other night at the Rangers. I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear or reverence to whom fear or reverence is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Let's go to Proverbs 30 because I want to... And this is something I got and I'll give credit to this. I was watching a teaching by Robert Morris on honor and I saw this. I've never seen this before. Proverbs 30. So I'll give him credit. There's some verses in here that don't seem as if they go together. But as he describes it, there's a sandwich. This is like a sandwich. There's two pieces in here that connect together. So what's in the middle is about this. Verse 11. And we're talking about that that those that resist authority bring judgment on themselves. There's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There's a generation that's pure in its own eyes, yet it's not washed from its filthiness. There's a generation, oh, how lofty their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords, text and social media, whose fangs are like knives. They devour, to devour the poor from off of the earth and the needy from among men. Now it's going to look like he changed the subjects. Verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. You know what a leech is? A little insect that sucks your blood because it, it, it lives off of your blood. We may meddle here. Give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four that never say enough. Verse 16. The grave. The grave's always taking people. The barren womb and the earth is not satisfied with water and the fire that never says enough. We've had some of these great forest fires out there in the west and it, just, it consumes everything in sight. It doesn't, it's never satisfied until it's burned everything up. And look, it comes back to the same subject. The eye that mocks its father... So what we just go back to, to verse 15. What Solomon's saying here is when we have a generation that's not been taught to honor their parents, they developed an attitude of being entitled. I'm entitled to things because I exist. You owe me something. My parents owe me something. See, the law, leech has two daughters. Give. Give. I need more. Like when your child calls, you know, he says, the first question I want to get, how much is this going to cost me? You know? <laughs> there are three things that are never satisfied. Verse 16 again. The grave, the barren womb, the earth is not satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. Verse 17. The eye that mocks its father and scorns obedience to mothers, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, the eye, and the young eagles will eat it. I was raised in a generation, my, I'm, I'm on the border of the, of the uh, uh, boomers, when parents came back, from, fathers came back from World War II and saw their wives they hadn't seen for a while. The result was a large generation. And uh, there's a man that developed the philosophy of raising children then, Dr. Benjamin Spock. And he, not, not the guy with the funny ears that came from Vulcan. He might have done a better job. And the, the philosophy that he wrote that affected that generation was that we've been all wrong about disciplining our children because we're suppressing their creativity. We're suppressing their ego and their personality. That's exactly right. <laughs> the Bible says that if you use the, the rod, again in love, if you use correction, you'll save your child from hell. But this philosophy, a humanist philosophy, was saturated in our society. That, 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 that to really, we're, we're stunting their creativity. We're, we're marring their ego and their precious little souls. So instead of, instead of disciplining them and correcting them, we might discourage them if we do that. So we need to come behind and encourage them. That's 
man using man's wisdom to train something God created. That's like taking your car, throwing the owner's manual out and deciding, you know what? Gas is expensive. So I think I'm going to put water in the gas tank. It's a lot cheaper. And then you call your dealership and say, it's not running. And they, they bring water out of the gas tank. What did you do? Well, it's not made to run on water. It's made to run on what the manufacturer designed it to run on, gasoline. And God designed the human being, and once they fell, God knew we needed to learn to submit and respect and honor authority. The eye that mocks his father scorns obedience to the mother. Ravens of the valley will pluck it out, and the young eagles will eat. So what we have is a generation that was raised, my generation, without being disciplined the way that my parents' generation was raised. There was a book written by Tom Brokaw years ago called The Greatest Generation. It was about my parents' generation that went through World War II, how they were, they were, they were sacrificial. They weren't concerned with what they, they were, they were, what's best for the nation. They were willing to lay their lives down. We don't see that very much anymore. I'm not saying it's not there. But I believe part of the reason is they were raised by a generation that Dr. Spock didn't influence. By the way, I've read Dr. Spock repented of it before he died. And, and the, the quote was, I realized I'm responsible for a generation of brats. That's my generation. Well, what's happened is my generation now brings that philosophy over into raising our children which then brings that philosophy over to raising the current generation. And so this gets multiplied and multiplied, and each generation gets further from the concepts of honor and discipline and integrity and all the biblical concepts. And that's all a scheme of Satan to destroy an entire generation. When Hitler took over Germany, he didn't pay attention to the adults because he knew he couldn't change them. He went after the children. He pulled them out. When Stalin took over, he took the children away from their parents and put them in schools so he could change their thinking to the point that, that, that Hitler taught the young children in his schools that if, you, if your parents indicate in any way they disagree with Nazism, you're to tell us and turn them in. What's the last thing in the book of the Old Testament in Malachi? It says, when the Elijah come, he will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers. Why? Because they've been separated from them. So we went there because Romans 13 says that, that if, if we resist authority, then we will bring judgment on ourselves. How do we do that? Is God mad at us? No. We open the door to Satan to destroy our lives. So we see celebrities taking their, taking their life and wondering, how can somebody that's so rich and famous take their lives? How can, how can teenagers take their lives when they've got so much to live for and so much, because they don't see it? Because their lives are given over to satanic forces to destroy them. Why? Because as children they've not been taught to honor, to obey their parents and to honor their parents. I was asked to, 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 to be part of a group that met with the superintendent of schools in Seekonk a number of years ago. She was a wonderful pe- person, and, I, and the, the principals I met and the teachers I met really loved those children. And she said, the biggest problem we have in, in, in school here in Seekonk is not the drinking, which is the problem, but it's the parents, because the parents think that their responsibility is to be friends with their child. That's what's taught out there. So you want to do what your children is going to make them happy. If you're a parent today and you've still got children in your home, your responsibility is first of all not to have your children like you, not to have them be happy. Your responsibility is to love them sacrificially, which means you have to do some things that they won't like and that for a while they may not love you but they will eventually come back to you and thank you for what you've done. I got a long email a couple of Father's Days ago from one of my children about the impact that I had on his life. Because, and I didn't do everything perfectly by any means. We better move on.
God wants what's best for us, so His commandments are to protect us. The Bible calls authority as a covering, as a protection. I don't have time to get into all that right now. Now, there are other types of, author- other types of fathers that the Bible says we're to honor. 1 Timothy 5.17, 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule be well, be well, be, that the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So we're to respect those that teach us, respect those that are, have a spiritual authority over us also. That's why we really don't like it. We don't like to be under spiritual authority, especially New England, because we're independent up here. After all, isn't that where independence was birthed for this nation? This is really popular, I can tell. (laughs) It's the Bible. It's protection. It's protection. Spiritual protection. We're dealing with spiritual things out there that have to be spiritually discerned. Well, I, I can't. We'll get into that later on. Now, Paul is an example of a spiritual father. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4. Paul is an amazing one to study as a spiritual father because he had some interesting children. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. I do not write these things... Now, this whole letter, as well as 2 Corinthians, is written to correct a church that he started. If you go back to the beginning of this letter, this church had the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, uh, uh, miracles, healings, all kinds, all the nine gifts of the Spirit were flowing here and abundantly. And they got so proud of how wonderfully the Spirit, the Spirit was working through them that they basically told Paul they didn't want him to come back because he was too hard. They told Paul basically, you're not spiritual enough. Paul. Paul. And then they ask some questions, and there's a, there are several other letters that go before it goes to, to 2 Corinthians, but these two letters are written to correct. A lot of the misunderstanding in 2 Corinthians is they don't realize that Paul is writing sarcastically to them. In fact, at one point, I think it's in verse 11, chapter 11, he says so. So here, he's discorrected them because they're so immature. He says, he says you think you're so spiritually mature, but you're still babies in Christ. And now he's going to prepare them for some correction. Because a loving father corrects behavior out of love. I do not write these things to shame you as my beloved children, I warn you. Verse 15, For though you might have 10,000 teachers or instructors in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I begotten you, through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So one of the things God designed us to do is to imitate our parents. In fact, you do imitate your parents. The good, the bad, and the ugly. How often have you as a parent said something to your children that you swore you'd never say to your children because your parents said that to you and you find the very words coming out of your mouth? Because God made us to imitate That's why you've got to be very careful who you hang out with, very careful what you watch and listen to. Nowadays, there's so many teachings out there you can get from so many sources. Pastor Kurt ministered on this a few weeks ago. And we run around getting the food we like to eat instead of what God's put in front of us. Because then we we control our diet. And how many children would grow up healthy if they just ate what they wanted to eat? or how much they wanted to eat. I better move on. So, verse 17, for this, so he says, imitate me. And I gotta, Therefore, for this reason, I've sent your... By the way, your children will imitate you. It's fun. It's fun to go into school here and talk to some of the children. I learn a lot about their parents. My favorite one is when a little child looks at me, Pastor, so proud. 
we watched you on TV yesterday. Having no idea, he just told me they stayed home. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. In other words, there were some that were puffed up saying, you know, who, Paul is no power, he's no authority. He said, we're going to find out when I come. Verse, 9, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in words, but it's in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and with a spirit of gentleness? In other words, you determine how I'm going to respond to you by whether you, respond, whether you receive what I say. Now, we're not going to get into this, but he follows this with chapter 5 where he deals with immorality in the church. Imagine if a pastor did that today. He says, there's somebody among you that's sleeping with his mother, with his stepmother, and you haven't dealt with it. Oh, you don't do that at church. I mean, you might offend somebody. So what Paul says to them, he says, because you haven't dealt with them, I'm going to have to. And here's what I've got to do. I don't have time to get into the deal. I've got to turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. He's talking about coming in power so that their soul may be saved in the day of judgment. In other words, they've got to learn to know what it's like to be outside the body of Christ by having you evict them from the body, from your fellowship for now, until they come back. The good news is, this person repented and came and back. And now in 2 Corinthians, he's got to encourage the church, receive them back now that he's repented. But my point is, Paul is disciplining the church. You imagine doing that today? It needs to be done. Because I would not be shocked if there's immorality in this church right now. I would not be shocked if there's immorality in this room right now. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking this way. <laughs> Honoring fathers, that's a good subject. Maybe that's what we ought to teach. In chapter 6, he deals with fighting in the church, not physical fights, suing each other. There were, there were disputes, and they, he, said, you're, he said, wait a minute, you're Christians, you're part of the same body, and you can't resolve your differences? So you go to a pagan court to resolve your differences? He said, don't you understand that when Christ comes back and establishes His kingdom here, you're going to be in charge of districts of administrating, and you can't work it out among yourselves? So he's correcting them. Chapter 7, he deals with marital issues. Then he goes on in money. and He's, he's messing with their lives like a father should. Because he loves them. Hebrews 12, let's kind of wind this down a little bit. This, verse 5, I can't tell you the times I've turned to this and wanted this. Now, everything, almost everything, in the book of Hebrews, up until this point, is a form of correction. It was written, some theologians believe by Paul, some believe it was somebody else, but it's the Holy Spirit writing it. And it's being written like a father writing to his sons, children. And this was written to Jewish believers that through persecution had been dispersed into most of Asia, which is now Turkey. And as a result of being separated from the mother church, they were weakening in their faith. And there were teachers coming in known as Judaizers, and they were teaching them that if, to be a Christian, you've still got to practice the law if you were a Jew. You've still got to be circumcised, you've still got to keep the law, plus follow Christ. And this letter is written to correct them from that doctrine and to strengthen them so they would not give in. And so having gone through all this correction, he now helps them to receive it. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. The word chasten means to be disciplined. 
It doesn't mean to be yelled at or screamed at. In our language, it tends to have a stronger meaning. But the Greek word means, it's padu, it means to be corrected. It means to be, to be disciplined of the Lord, nor discouraged when you're rebuked. By, by the way, here's the two, there's three correct ways to respond to discipline and correction. And here's the two wrong ways. The first is to despise it. Who are you to tell me what to do? Or just close off and resent it. I've found lately the Lord correcting me about some things in my life. And He's correcting me through other teachers. And what He's exposed me to is that He said, John, I've been trying to correct you in some areas, but you can't hear what I'm saying through them because you hardened your heart to them because you're jealous of their ministry. You? Yeah, I'm human. Say, well, I could teach that better than they could teach it. Now, I don't hold on to that attitude if I see it, because I, but, once, but it can be, you can have attitudes down inside you don't realize until the Spirit of God touches something, and often it's through something somebody else says, and it comes up. Now, what do you do with that? That's the Holy Spirit correcting you. And the Lord this morning was even talking to me. He says, don't you understand that when you have that attitude, you're, you're putting a block in what I want to say to you in that area of your life. I want to I help you in this area. And you can't hear my help because you looked at that teacher and said, yeah, I can say that better than he can say it. <clears throat> That's despising. Or be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. That's fainting. Our oldest son one time, he was getting older and he says, you know, Dad, I, I want my own dog. I want a man's dog. So we, we went out and bought him a dog. He had German Shepherd and Collie together. Wow, wow, wow. This was the biggest wimp you've ever seen. And he named him King. And he was uncontrollable. So my son and I took him to, to obedience, hired a guy to teach him obedience. And teach actually my son to teach him obedience. And, and he said, okay, now have him, have him sit. So I put the collar on him and he says, King, sit! And just look at you. He said, all right. He said, King, sit! And you make him sit. So he said, sit! And the king just went. <laughs> he just collapsed. The strong dog just, at the word, sit, just collapsed. Oh, I can't do it. so hard. Oh, it's so hard. That's fainting. And when we're corrected, one of the wrong ways, oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's so hard. Don't you understand it? how hard it is? That's resisting correction. Because God won't correct you in something He doesn't know you can do. Nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. Verse 6, you've got to move on. For whom the Lord loves, notice this, out of love, He chastens, He corrects, and scourges every son whom He he receives. I've studied that word, no, 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 go back. I've studied that word scourge over and over again. Because I'm trying to get something else out of that. But that word scourge means to hit with a rod. Mastigo. To spank. Every son whom He receives. Is God a child beater? No. Because what happens is, his progression is, and I can't get into it, it's in, it's in Job, one of the chapters of Job. God, first of all, corrects us with a word. And after a while, if we don't listen to the word, then He's got to begin to correct us with circumstances. And if we don't correct us with circumstances, they got to, because He ultimately wants to save us from completely backsliding. But we determine how hard He's got to be with us by how easily we respond. Israel was a great example of that. We can't get into that this morning. Verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. Stop there. In the Greek language, this is a little hard because some other translations say it a little differently. What it really is saying is if you will, if you will instead of resisting the, te- the correction or fainting, but if you will go through the process, then you will allow God to treat you as a father with his son. But if we resist or we faint, then we're stopping him from being able to do it. Next verse. But if you're without chastening, of which we've all become, then you're illegitimate and not sons. 
we got to stop because he goes on and compares it to uh, uh, your earthly fathers corrected you for their for your good and and as best they could, but God's correcting you for your righteousness and holiness. What happens when we don't give honor? I don't have time to go there, but in Matthew 13, from 50, 54 to 58, Jesus goes back to his hometown, having done miracles in, every, in many other places around there. And it says that, that when he went to, to there, uh, it says, they were offended at him. Because, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, he's out there doing all these things, but this is Joseph's son. See, they were familiar with him. You ever heard the expression, familiarity breeds contempt? When you're familiar with somebody that can stop you from receiving the gift they are. And here he says, Jesus says to them, don't you know the proverb that a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown? And it says that in Mark's version, he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Their dishonoring him was also unbelief. And it stopped God from blessing them and healing them and doing miracles among them because when you dishonor the authority, you resist the gift that God's given you in them and you can't receive from them. So what do we do? What do we do in a situation where our fathers are not... We're not godly fathers? Or whether we look at them and say, you're not worthy to be, receive honor. I mean, Jesus obviously was worthy to receive honor. Some of you have, have had fathers that were good godly men that, that raised you. We've got some wonderful godly fathers in here that have done a great job. But some of us were not raised by that. What do we do then? Well, first of all, by understanding two things. First of all, by understanding that honor, in God's eyes, is not based on whether it's earned or not. Honor is based on the position. Just as they teach you in the military, you respect the officers over you that's why you can have a, a, a drill sergeant that's been in the service 35 years and he's got a young second lieutenant that's got still wet behind the ears and this drill sergeant has to salute the second lieutenant. He's not saluting his experience. He's not saluting his knowledge. He's not saluting anything but that bar on his, sh- on his shirt, but the office. It's respecting the office because of who put him in that office. And so the first reason we can honor our Father, even though He's not worthy of honor, is because it's a position that comes from God. Because it's honoring God when we honor our Father and our Mother. And that's the second thing. By honoring our Father, we're really honoring God who established that position. So that's the first thing, by understanding those two things. The second thing, and this is the most important, where you can honor a Father who was not a good Father to you, is by forgiving them. It's by forgiving them. I've had to do that. I've shared my stories a little bit, and I'm not, I don't have time this morning to get in into a lot of it. But my parents were divorced when I was about nine years old. My father was raised in a very manipulative, controlling family. His mother was manipulative and controlling. Her mother was far beyond that. And my father... I believe love. I know now. I know he did love me, but I had a rough relationship with him. And I remember as I got older, going to visit him in Florida as he was getting older, and, and telling him, you know, I, we've never really had a close relationship, but 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 I want one with you now. And he looked at me back and says, "But I don't want one." That crushed me. It took a lot for me to reach out and to say that to him. And then just a few years later, he he passed away. And I just kind of shut him out in my heart. I love what Andy Stanley said in one of those series. You know, I don't care. Well, you do care. If you say you don't care, that's protecting yourself. And his wife, who was his fourth wife, sent a box of, to us after a while, which is all I got out of, out of his estate. It was filled with pictures and things. And I remember sitting there, putting them on our kitchen table, going through them all and looking at them and putting them aside. And my wife's standing next to me, and she says, Boy, he loved you. I almost took her head off. Not literally. What do you mean he loved me? She says, there's got to be a thousand pictures in here. I said, yeah. And she said, but they're all of you. And all of a sudden, I could remember all the trips he came to pick me up because he had me every other weekend. I remember the things he, he tried to do. That he, and then all of a sudden, when I, when I opened my heart to that, 
I began to understand how he was raised. And then I put myself in his place. I'm getting chills now. And then, and then, and then I realized, I suddenly saw it. He loved me the best he knew how. He gave me the best he had. In the moment I understood him, it broke. And I broke. And I could forgive him. There's some of you in the room this morning, that's been your experience. The details may be different. It may be that you just don't know who your father was, but you had to have one or you wouldn't be here. Maybe your father just left you and your mother and your family when, when you were young and, uh, and you don't know where he is or you just never see him or you've seen him and there's just this wall there. Maybe you were raised by your father, but he was abusive and did things to you that shouldn't have been done ever by a father to a child. I, I don't know. I just know that's how the devil works. In these moments that are left, I want to give you that an opportunity to do what the Word of God says, to honor them. Not because they deserve it, but because God says so. And if you will do that, it will begin to set you free and open a door for God's blessing in your life. So, I want everyone to close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. Father, this is very serious. This is so important to you. We get busy with our lives and we move out of our homes and, and we raise our own families and, and we go on with life and there are hurts and, from the past. And this morning we're talking about hurts from our, our father who either wasn't there or hurt us or let us down or failed us or whatever. But that's never been resolved. Just hearing about Father, there's a... something goes hard in our hearts. And whether we realize it or not, Father, that's interfered and affected our relationship as a father or as a mother with our children. And if not, it will when we have children. And today, Father, I believe you want to set us free. You want to release us from those hurts. And there's some, Father, this morning, just to hear that you've got to honor your, your Father sets off, sets a reaction of hurt. But it's that hurt that you want to set us free from this morning. Help us to take that step of faith this morning. Here's what I want to do. If, with everybody's eyes still closed, if that's you, whether you're a, a father, whether you're a, 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 a son or a daughter, it's a father we're dealing with this morning, I want to ask you to stand because we're going to pray for you. This is a time to be healed. Don't be afraid. It's pride that keeps you from standing. This room must have many in it right now because this is where the Lord told me to go with this message. Today when people give cards and ties, it's hard for you because there's not an openness there. There's still more. I know there's still more. Some of you are wrestling, but you're wrestling with your own pride. That's got to break. Give it to the Lord. If that hurt's still there, give it, to, give it to God who loves you so much. There's still some more. I'm going to wait another minute for you. Whew. Father, this is so, so important. There are strongholds in our lives that the enemies had trying to destroy us and our children, our marriage because they're unresolved things in our heart towards our Father. We come to you this morning, Father, and we're going to do something that can be so hard to do, but we're going to do it by faith. For everything our Father did to hurt us and disappoint us,
we ask you to forgive him because you've forgiven us. And now as an act of our will, we choose to forgive our Father and to release Him from the hurt and the pain and the disappointment. Whether they're alive now or whether they've gone on, we forgive them as an act of our will. And we ask you to forgive us for holding on to the hurt. We thank you now, Holy Spirit, to strengthen us, to enable us to live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There are a lot of hurts like that that seem unfair. Why should I release them from that? They did this to me. Jesus took my sin on himself that he didn't deserve so that he could set me free. And the love he's commanded us to walk in with one another is to take one another's sin upon myself, take my father's sin and the hurt upon me so I can release him, release him and set him free. And if you do that, it not only releases him and sets him free, but it releases you from the burden and pain you've been carrying around. Some of you, your parents like mine, were gone. But you can do that as we've done this morning. Some of you, your parents are still alive and you have the opportunity to go heal that with Him. We have some young people in here that you've not really been honoring and respecting your parents. You have the opportunity now to repent of that and to change that. And it's hard in your teen years because... There's a natural struggle there for independence. And that's okay as long as you honor your parents in the process of learning to do that.